When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, what's up? Welcome in GC Live, West Mitchell, Chris Clark. Monday episode, of course, talking about South Carolina's big win over Vanderbilt on Saturday, blowout victory for the Gamecocks as they uh, kind of just took care of business. It for for much of the game felt like a uh, a business trip. I feel like for South Carolina at the Williams Bryce Stadium, kind of a workman like um, approach, and then and then it kind of just exploded into a, a full on blowout there as the second half progressed. So, of course, going to get into that. A little bit of news today as far as kickoff for South Carolina Clemson announced. And maybe if we have time, we'll get into some of the bigger topics around college football because there are plenty of movement, plenty of news as the carousel has uh, started its turn, I guess. Um, That's kind of how it normally works. I feel like one team breaks the dam, so to speak, and then – uh, next thing you know, you got several coaching changes going on. So that that part has happened. We are officially in coaching change season. Uh, but first, going to tell you about our buddy Clint Hammond of Movement Mortgage, clinthammond.com, 803-771-6933. Appreciate Clint, as always, being our presenting sponsor of this show each and every day. GC Live, of course, as you know, if you're in the market to buy a home, call Clint uh, anywhere in the state of South Carolina and actually beyond. He can help you find a great interest rate and uh, walk you through what options you may have, even if interest rates are high compared to what they were a few years ago. Chris, um, not a perfect outing by South Carolina. Like, I I don't want to sort of sit here and say it was, but for the most part, you know, it kind of felt like exactly what South Carolina needed with a a chance to get some guys in at the end, a chance to – have some success, offense, defense, special teams, certainly their most complete effort of the season. It really was. And I I was looking back earlier, Wes, and we do have a lot of fact checkers on the show, which I'm actually very grateful for because we do miss some things every now and then. I believe this is the second largest margin of victory for a Shane Beamer program. So, you know, almost through three seasons, 41-point victory, for the Gamecocks over Vanderbilt. And Wes, you made a good point earlier today, you know, on the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour on 107.5 the game, and that Vanderbilt, not a good football team, right? Like everything that we say is going to be said against that backdrop of realizing, yes, the defense played great, but it's Vandy. Yes, the offense moved the football. Yes, you got turnovers, but it's Vandy. We know that, but it was a more complete performance, sloppy at times, especially in the first half offensively. South Carolina cleaned things up. Shane Beamer pointed out this team played better as the game went along. He wanted this team to play better in the second half. They certainly did that. And as poor a team as Vandy is, West, they don't have an SEC victory this year. It's not like they've been absolutely just trounced like they were on Saturday at the hands of the Gamecocks in other games this year, right? Look back, lost to Auburn by 16, lost to Ole Miss 26, but Georgia 17, right? Missouri, really good team, 17. Kentucky, 17. So they actually hung around some games. Um, And some of those were, you know, some teams calling the dogs off late and things like that. Uh, But from start to finish, this one didn't ever really seem in doubt for South Carolina. And, it's exactly – you made a great point. I like how you said it. This is exactly the type of game they needed, right? You needed to – they did, still didn't stay completely healthy. You had the unfortunate injury to Juju McDowell to end his season. But you were able to not be in a fourth-quarter battle. You are able to empty the bench at the end, which is always a great feeling, right, and kind of have a confidence-boosting win where despite the quality of the opponent – 
you were able to point at some things and say, this looked better than it has looked lately. Yeah, so I think you look at this game, we, we've talked about complimentary football all season long, and unfortunately for Carolina, it was more we talked about it in terms of the lack of complimentary football and sort of picking up your teammates when, you know, if one side is making mistakes or struggling, the other side picks them up. And I, I thought this game was about complimentary football. The, the offense, it wasn't that it was terrible in the first half. I really don't think it was. Uh, you know, they, they scored. They actually, um, you know, it was it was 13 nothing. I can't – I think that second score of the first half was on the very first play of the second quarter. So, really, you know, if you say, hey, we got two touchdowns in the first quarter, um, you were at the one-yard line. Braswell was dragged down at, like, the half-yard line. That was the final play of the first quarter. Um, so if you said, hey, you scored two touchdowns in the first quarter or were in position position to do that, you'd say you got off to a pretty good start. So, you know, there were some times I felt like in the second quarter where the offense did bog down a little bit. A lot of it came back to drops, um, you know, maybe a procedural thing here or there. But I thought the complimentary part of that was first quarter, defense plays really well. And offense did some nice things. Second quarter, offense, like I said, had some issues, had some sloppiness. But if the defense had also been sloppy at that moment, that's when you could have gone into the half with it 13 to 7 or shoot even 14 to 13. And, you know, we saw situations where the, uh, the offense turned the football over defense responded by um, actually getting the ball back on a um, a fourth down stop. We saw South Carolina turn around and go for it on a fourth down, not get it. Defense stood after that. The defense stood to start the second half on what at the time was Vanderbilt's best drive of the game. If they score out of halftime to make it 13-7, to seven, you know, the complete complexion of this game changes at that point. How you have to how you have to attack the game if your South Carolina changes. The pressure, not pressure in terms of like pass rush, but the pressure to go out and execute changes a little bit. So the defense comes out, they get another stop to start the half. And then you see South Carolina in the third quarter with a couple of nice scores. Of course, the Mario Anderson run. Uh, the quick pass to A.B. where he makes a guy miss and shows off his speed. And then at that point, I think everybody in the stadium was like, this game is by all intents and purposes <laughs> over. So th that's what I think you mean with complimentary football. You know it's not going to be pretty at all times on all sides, but you, you pick me up. Special teams has one of the few – you know, I, I think Jalen Kilgore has been fantastic this year since he took over as punt returner. He has a fair catch down there around the five, four-yard line. You're like, all right, Mike should have uh, let that one go. Offense responds, gets out of the shadow of the goal line, and I think goes on to score on that drive, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, I know they had one long drive in the game, so I, I think those are matched up. But anyway, complimentary football, it doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means you make a mistake. I pick you up, and then at the end of the game, like in the second half, you kind of saw what complimentary football looks like in terms of just all all sides clicking and putting the game away. Yeah, it, it was their most complete performance, uh, despite the offensive sloppiness or wherever there was sloppiness, Wes. Like you said, the another phase of the game was there to pick you up. And I think another part of that is – South Carolina simply finished more plays in this game. Now, you may say, well, they they were able to finish them because it's Vandy. Okay, fair point, right? But we have seen at times this year when there are opportunities, got, when you have guys dead to rights, doesn't matter how good of a player the guy is, you, you've got them basically dead to rights. We've seen them miss tackles, and, and I'm mainly talking about defense with this particular point. In this game, Wes, PFF had South Carolina at four missed tackles. And, you know, sometimes these numbers can be off. Their drop numbers, for instance, for, for the offense, were a good bit off in this game.
going back and, and kind of thinking through it, you don't really think of a lot of notable missed tackles in this game for South Carolina. And that was probably the most frustrating part of the defensive performance this year. Yeah, you don't like seeing guys breaking through the line and, and getting easy yardage. You don't like balls thrown over a defensive back's head. But the more disappointing plays, the most disappointing ones, are when you're in position to break up a pass and you don't, and a guy catches it on you. It's when you've got a guy lined up for a tackle in the backfield and you don't get it, right? When you don't finish a pressure. We just saw South Carolina finish many more plays today. And really, we saw that in all phases. You know, in all, on offense, they they had some great – the Mario Anderson run's a great example of that. Defensively, you don't miss as many tackles. You finish things. You have opportunities for turnovers, and you're able to fall on the football. Special teams, you finally block a punt. Not only do you block the punt, but you block it so well that you get a favorable bounce. You're in position and you're able to run it back for a touchdown. So you, you take off the table the offense getting the ball back and having to settle for a field goal. Just go ahead and score. And so they just did a really good job in this game, I think, of of taking care of their opportunities, taking advantage of their opportunities, rather. And that's why the score is what it is. I think that they, Wes, also just kind of – they just kind of took Vandy's will in this game, which – you haven't seen, frankly, from a, in a South Carolina win this year. I don't think you've seen that. They really haven't been in position to do that from a scoreline standpoint. Clark Lee, the Vandy coach, was very disappointed, disgusted, he said, with this team's effort at the end of the game. Um, and I think that's just a testament to how well South Carolina played, how, how dominant they were in this one. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that we've seen teams take Vandy's will this year either from the Vandy perspective like they they've gotten beat obviously every game they've played an SEC team and it it hasn't been particularly close like I'm not saying it has been but for the most part it's been they've lost by two or three scores sometimes that involved a late touchdown to make it closer than it really was but they've not had these just 40 point blowouts like what South Carolina was able to do and you know some of that was self-inflicted from Vandy let's let's be honest but the uh just to put them away, and it kind of, I don't know, man. I, I know it's easy to sit there and say, like, you, you know, the whole thing, all they didn't look like they cared, or when teams, especially in baseball, all the dugout didn't look excited about a game. And, um, you know, I always ignore those things. But it, it kind of felt like Vandy in the fourth quarter, late third, fourth quarter, no sense of urgency, man. It was like they were just running out the clock on themselves. And, um, you know, I, I think you look at it, it was just – it was kind of weird that they – it didn't feel like they were trying to come back in the football game. And so I, I can't imagine being a Vandy fan right now and having to watch what's already an uphill climb for them, throw in the transfer portal – I mean, we're going to watch Trey Davis and what he's all about this coming week instead of this past week. And so, you know, you get a guy like that. Now, granted, they got him originally out of the transfer portal, so maybe maybe there's not quite as much loyalty there. Um, like, you can't say, oh, they found a guy diamond in the rough um, and he left him to go to a division rival. But still, if you already are going to have struggles and you're Vandy, you can't lose your best player to the portal. And then – you know, maybe they don't have the NIL support and then throw in just historically that it's a struggle. I mean, then you you go to face a South Carolina team that is having a down year, not a great year. We all know. We've talked about it all year for the Gamecocks. And you just get blown out. I mean, that's tough sledding right there, man. It is tough. And even, um, you know, just reading some stuff about Vandy uh, this morning and, and yesterday, Wes, and even by their standards – you know, it, it's been a tough year. You know, it's been a far cry for from those years when, you know, James Franklin was able to hammer out a couple, what, nine-win seasons there, which seems almost remarkable, or it, not almost, it is remarkable, you know, looking back on that. Even by their standards, this has been a tough go for them. You know, they're, they're very much staring down the barrel of another winless SEC season which would just be really difficult. And they've got they've got a long streak, 
you know, of, of losing in the SEC. So tough for them. I actually really, I like, really like Clark Lee West. I think, um, you know, obviously he's coaching for his alma mater, which means something. I think he's a good defensive coach in mind and, and just is about the right stuff, but this is a hard job, you know, at Vanderbilt. And I think it's probably going to get even harder in this era of college football. Uh, it seems like, but we'll, we'll see where it goes. But yeah, he was definitely not happy with, with the effort. And I think honestly, you credit South Carolina for a lot of that for, you know, how they played. Yeah, man, just, uh, the look of defeat from, uh, from him and from them, I mean, gotta be tough, but, uh, yeah, let's get back to South Carolina. We we had a question and I I do want to get into some more details of the game, but had a question, do they have to burn Braswell's red shirt? And I see that's from Ben on YouTube. You know, I, ben, I don't know if I see a way around it at this point unless Joyner is back for the Clemson game. That is so, – so right now, and I have not done my red shirt tracker yet for this week, but I, I will do it, and obviously we can use last week's as a guide. And this was the third game that Braswell has played in this year. So, you know – He's going to play this week. Like, that's, I think, pretty much a guarantee, right? So, so that would be fourth. And, you know, for right right now, unless there's a huge amount of progress, um, Beamer said Saturday, Joyner would be doubtful. Now, he said all the guys who didn't play, he said on Sunday, are questionable. But he just, he did not seem optimistic at all on Saturday that Joyner would be able to go this coming Saturday against Kentucky. So, Really, Joyner would have to be back for the Clemson game. Otherwise, I don't see any way around it because you have you have to have a second scholarship back rotating in and available and playing in that game. So if if Braswell were to play this week and then play against Clemson, then yes, that would be five games and um and, and he would burn the red shirt. Yeah, and I mean, look, we've seen some instances, Wes, of the running back room being very depleted by the end of a South Carolina season. The the go-to for me is always that year where Brandon Wilds was the fifth-string running back. By the time the Clemson game comes around, he's starting, right? South Carolina hasn't had five scholarship backs, you know, to, to go with throughout the year. And so – you know, Braswell was a guy that it seemed like has been on the verge of maybe integrating a little bit more regardless. But now we're going to see him even more. And we got some glimpses on Saturday. You know, he catches that pass, very nearly scores, arguably should have scored, but you saw the speed. You saw the athleticism that he has. And it'll be interesting to see how he's used, how much he's used. How do, how much does Dowell Loggins trust him to go out there and basically have the entire playbook, you know, without showing your hand of, Hey, Braswell's in the game. He's probably not pass protecting Braswell's in the game. He's probably going out on a route here, you know, as opposed to, you know, running inside zone or something. He is going to, this is a moment where you're going to have to grow up even more, right? Because of the injury situation. So it's tough. They're going to have to be careful Wes, maybe this means they lean on the pass, pass to set up the run even more than they have been already. Because remember, in addition to all the other injuries they already have, Braswell is a freshman, and Mario Anderson has been banged up a little bit during the year too. We've seen him go down with some uh, with some nicks and some bruises that he's been able to fight through and, and come back from too. But it's a pretty tenuous situation in that room right now. Yeah, and uh... – Mario, a tough kid, man. Sorry, y'all. I'm losing my mic here somehow. Um, Yeah, I was just about to say I couldn't hear you. Lost you for a minute there. Yeah, Wes is out right now. Yeah, we're going to get Wes's mic back here in just a second. But, yeah, to go back to the running back situation, you know, you remember before the season 
uh, freshman tight end or recruited as a tight end, Cam Samlin, who is a former uh, high school quarterback in the state of Alabama, had a great career. He was actually moved to the running back position for a little while, you know, just to help provide depth. And now my understanding is he is back in that tight end room. You know, would that be you know a solution you want to go to now anyway? Probably not. So you've got Braswell, who's a freshman. You've got, um, obviously, Mario Anderson, who's been a revelation for South Carolina in the last several games. But, Wes, I think you're back, Wes, even though we switched sides. Here's a question, and this is one everybody's on everybody's mind, I'm sure. So let's tie it together. South Carolina is very short on running backs. South Carolina has had struggles in short yardage this season. South Carolina has a freshman quarterback who is six foot three, 240 pounds, and can do things like we saw at, towards the end of the game on Saturday, where he can break tackles and outrun people. Given all of that, do we see a higher volume of Lenore Sellers against Kentucky and against Clemson these last two weeks? Well, I I mean, I know I know what you think, but but do we in actuality see that? I don't know. I've been I've been saying we were going to see it for how many games have there been now? Ten, <laughs> ten games. Yep, yep. So I'm just going to go ahead and tell you my prediction okay. for this week. When you send me that email and say, "Wes, send a prediction," is going to be a copy and paste of last week <laughs> when I Good said talk. we were going to see the sellers short yardage package and you know I, I i think i think here's the answer as i pull it up here if you're not on the vi- video version sorry but travis says you have to i mean that that's probably your answer now the only thing about that well there's two things about that it it takes the ball out of spencer rattler's hands which he's just been phenomenal and two, it allows your other allows your opponent to sub. So if you go with some, I think some teams call it like a hammer formation. Like that's that's a ton of what South Lawrence did, you know, with Lenoris in high school, is they just stacked him up and they put two big bodies, kind of almost like you see personal protectors, you know, in a punt formation. And the whole world knows he's running it. And so if you do that, now we've seen him put John Darius Morgan in there as an extra tight end, kind of the extra blocker route. We've seen, obviously, Boogie, who scored a touchdown. We've seen Tonka out there. They've done some different big body, like, kind of sub packages. Um, If you go to that, you're going to allow your opponent to, to get into it. The beauty of when they were using Joiner was that you keep the personnel the same at times. So um, you could just roll Rattler out to the outside. He lines up as sort of a receiver, and then you direct snap to to Joiner. So I I do think there are some reasons they have been hesitant to do that. But I think if you're ever going to see it, you know, this is the time that you're going to see it. Now, I I do think – like I I don't think this is – this is not the number one, two, three, four, fifth. This isn't even on the top ten of things you're probably thinking about right now if you're South Carolina. But do do are we like sure that this bowl game kind of waiver is gonna become a thing again this year? I mean, I haven't seen anything about it. I haven't heard anything behind the scenes on it. And, you know, they did it last year, Wes. You know, I, I think it was still, even though we're, we're past in terms of limitations in college football for COVID, it seems like they kind of based it on that even. No announcement yet on that. And I'd have to go back and look. I'm not sure when the NCAA actually announced, hey, we are, we are going to give out this bowl waiver. But it was stated that it was a one-time waiver. Now, will they do it again? Maybe they probably should. Um, and I think Wes, I'm remembering a little bit more now. It was basically couched as a type of relief for programs because they were just dealing with a lot of fallout from 
the transfer portal, right? And you have so many opt-outs nowadays. Um, mm-hmm. It's become very commonplace. And so with the transfer portal window, with the fact that guys are finishing up the regular season, and if they're not in a conference title game, if they're not in the college football playoff, they're pr- a lot of them are moving on, the big-time guys. And so we've seen rosters be depleted. So this is a way to help the schools you know, manage their rosters better. So it makes a lot of sense to do it. Now, will the NCAA say, well, college coach A, you should have been planning for this more often. We gave you the one-time waiver last year. Now you have a better sense of how this thing is going to go. So you need to be baking in, hey, this guy is on game three or this guy's on game four, and you need to know that going into the bowl. But wouldn't it be a good idea to make the rule kind of permanent of, hey, the four games applies to the regular season. Anything after that is kind of gravy. That, to me, makes a lot of sense, Wes, but I, I don't know yet which direction it's going to go. Yeah, and I, I think you're right, man. Like, maybe maybe there is a COVID tie in there, but re- the real reason you're having to play those guys is because of transfers and opt-outs. And so, really, and man, unless you're in a New Year's Six, unless you're in college football playoff, your bowl – Really, it's kind of to start to get you ready for next year in today's college football, I think. So, Tra- Travis says even if even if he isn't, uh, or even if it isn't, you still could have Doty to play in the bowl game. Yes. However, um, I I think there would be lots of playing time to be had for sellers that could be very very valuable in a potential bowl game scenario. And, you know, I I said to start the year that I didn't care about red shirts really anymore, that I don't care about him for a guy like Sellers because he's that talented. But that was in my head if you were going to play him in some package for like seven, eight, nine games this year. Now that you're at the point where you haven't really done that, I think you have to consider the red shirt aspect of this so now it we're this is one of those things where you could be like dude you're talking about something that may not even happen you may not even go to a bowl but but this is why um this is why coaches make the big bucks and this is why um thinking eight steps ahead is rewarded in in football if you're thinking several steps ahead of this it is that that is part of this equation, in, in my opinion. It truly is. So right now, Sellers has played in two games. If the waiver is given, then you know, let, let's just say hypothetically, he could play in the two games. Let's say hypothetically, Rattler doesn't play in a bowl game. Then let's say hypothetically, you give Sellers a bunch of reps in a bowl game. So that that would be if that waiver is given. So. You know, I, I think that's part of this as part of the thought process. But if you go into this game and you're saying, that, like, the the main thing is to win the game, right? If you think Sellers gives you the best chance to do that in some short yardage stuff, if you think you need DJ Braswell to play the next two games and be a huge part of what you do, you, you kind of have to do it, I guess. Yeah, and, and that that's where I was going, Wes. Uh, I totally agree with you. So th- this should be the starting point of analysis in all this. Everything else should be secondary. The question should be, will playing whoever, insert player here, in the next two games help us win those next two games more so than not? If the answer is 51% yes, then y- you do it, right? Um, or even if there's a chance of it, then then you do it. And, I mean, we know Braswell's going to have to play because he's the second running back. I mean, it, it Juju Medall is not coming back. Well, we know he's going to have to play this week. He's, he's going to have to play this week. Could, now, I was going to say, last I saw on Joyner, he was wheeling around on a scooter on the sideline Saturday. But, hey, apparently Boogie Huntley was wheeling around on a scooter and then he was last seen catching a touchdown pass in williams Bryce Stadium. Maybe Joyner can come back. We will see. But we know Braswell's going to have to play this week. 
sellers, if you if you just kind of put together an analysis, can he help you, especially given the circumstances? The answer seems like a resounding yes. The other thing is, Wes, in, in this day and time in college football, are you is it as necessary to to save guys, right? I mean, Lenora Sellers, if he redshirted this year, let's say he just becomes the starter next year, tears it up as a redshirt freshman, tears it up as a redshirt sophomore, he could go pro. Let's say he doesn't redshirt this year, and next year he goes into a sophomore, same thing. Tears it up as a sophomore and junior, hypothetically. He could go pro then, right? I think generally in college football, there's just much more of an appetite nowadays of if a guy can help you, you're going to play him as a freshman. And we we see that all over the place. We see that even at – you know, Georgia, Alabama, schools that have tons of talent, they play freshmen too. Uh, they're not scared to do it. And certainly the volume, the amount of guys that South Carolina has played as freshmen this year, whether it's out of, you know, necessity or guys earning it or both, it's been a, a, a huge volume of players. Point is, with Sellers and Braswell, I think we need to see more of them. We will definitely see more of Braswell out of necessity but I think we probably should, given the circumstances, see more of sellers too. And you worry about the red shirt conversation on the other side. Whatever happens, happens, I think. Um, By the way, NCAA issued that one-time waiver on December 16th last year, so we are still a ways away um, if they were to follow the same timeline um, from that. Uh, But I I do – dude, I think it is a little bit more nuanced conversation when you're talking about one game being the difference in an entire season – and not getting the entire season. Like, I, I agree in general that play play all the guys that can help you. But when you're talking about one foot, like, could be five snaps that are the difference in this year, counting or not counting, I think you got to be very careful and just deliberate about And if you decide, hey, we need those five snaps today, then you do what you got to do. But, um, you know, I, I think it's got to be a – a deeper conversation with the kid, uh, you know, and, and kind of make sure everybody's on the same page when you're talking about burning an entire season on, you know, just potentially a, a handful of plays. So we'll see. Certainly that's just something to keep an eye on. I think that maybe we didn't a couple of weeks ago, this probably wasn't even going to be a conversation necessarily, but the injury situation I think makes it more so part of something that you have to, consider uh let's see we're about at the halfway point of the show which means it's a pretty good uh point to uh tell you about trey and i think it's always a good time to tell people about trey harrell west we just happen to do it here right in the middle of the show trey harrell who is he you may be wondering well he's been voted as the best personal injury attorney by the readers of the post and courier so awesome honor for trey but also awesome for his past clients his current clients and his future clients because they know They're getting outstanding representation. Trey Harrell helps people who have been injured in auto accidents all over Gamecock country and all over the great state of South Carolina. You see, if you're on the video version of the podcast here, at Trey Helps, that's where you can find him on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok is at Trey Helps, or you can find him on his website, attorneyharrell.com, H-A-R-R-E-L-L, attorneyharrell.com. Now, we obviously hope that you never are injured in an auto accident, but if you have been, if a family member has been, if a friend has been, you want to find an attorney who's going to be there to walk alongside you through a tough process, someone who's going to fight for you, someone who's going to fight to get what you deserve. Find an attorney who helps, and remember that Trey Harrell helps. Again, that's at Trey Helps on Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok, or attorneyharrell.com. We appreciate Trey Harrell helping us to bring you GC Live a couple times a week. For sure. Uh, all right, let's um, let's get back into the actual game because I think there's a lot of meat on this ball we have not talked about yet. And I want to go back. Let's go to defense, man. The 3-3-5, this is kind of there, – there's been some interesting tweaks schematically. I, I think on offense and defense, but a little bit more – dramatically on defense we saw the 335 sort of be introduced to south for south carolina texas a&m game it was much more of a third down pass rush package 
you know, something that I think became a, a part of what they do and, and was very successful, but they were very clear, hey, this is this is a, just a package. And then you come out against Vanderbilt and, you know, first quarter, they're in this three three five personnel pretty much, I mean, not the whole quarter, but for the most part, the whole quarter. And this was not just, you know, sometimes you'll see them line up in their four two five, and one of the edge guys is kind of a stand-up guy or is in like a two-point stance. And But it's still structured like their four two five, and it's still their four two five personnel. This was a true like three three five stack like you would see from South Carolina back in the day under Charlie Strong in the early 2000s, like we saw from Mississippi State when they were at Williams-Price Stadium and involved inserting Bam Martin-Scott onto the field in their base defense. We continue to see some more of Jaron Willis in sort of their pass rush, third down defense. And based on the outcome, man, I, I think this thing is here to stay. I'm not saying we're not going to still see some 4-2-5 in the next two weeks. Kentucky's personnel is obviously going to play into that as well. But I think this we're seeing this thing grow more and more into being a bigger part of what they're trying to do on defense. And it, it was very successful, partially because Bam Martin-Scott has uh, really come along as a player. Yeah, Bam has always been such an intriguing player uh, because of his physical characteristics. You know, he's you look at him, he just looks different than, um, frankly, a lot of the other linebackers. I mean, you look at someone like freshman Pup Howard who looks more like a defensive end than a linebacker in the traditional sense. But Bam is just a long, rangy guy. You watch him move. He can really run. He's shown some moments where he's been really good in pass coverage. And so you've always kind of wondered, Wes, man, could this guy break out? Could could the production start to match up a little bit more even with the physical characteristics to where it's not just flashes, it's more consistent. And we may be seeing that unfold before our very eyes, Wes. He had his highest snap count on Saturday of the year. You watch the way that he can rush the passer. He had a sack in this game. He had 13 tackles, a tackle for loss, a sack, a pass breakup. He, and he played really, really well in special teams. Shane Beamer, in fact, on Sunday night during his teleconference, uh, mentioned that Bam Martin-Scott was not only a, a defensive player of the game, but also a special teams player of the game, so both of them. So he played a lot of snaps and played at a high level. And, Wes, when you get him and Jaron Willis on the field at the same time, it gives you some pretty legitimate pass rush juice, juice and for a team that, you know, doesn't have a dominant front, doesn't have a front that's really consistently able to pressure the quarterback with four guys, this has been a package that they've seemed to kind of lean on and base out of a little bit more, and, and, and it's done some nice things for them at times. Well, I think it, it gives you that option to to pass rush those guys. And, you know, I, I think they've been pretty good at times, you know, as far as like a T.J. Sanders creating some things up front, Tonka, Boogie, uh, but kind of those traditional edge rush guys. Strong has been good at times, but – they haven't been able to just line up the two guys opposite each other and say, go get the quarterback. So I think this gives opponents a little bit more to think about. This kind of gets two of your better pass rushers out there, which I think uh, we're starting to see Bam Martin Scott and Jaron Willis both fit into that category. And, you know, then you can kind of pair them up. You can bring Stone Bland. You can bring Debo Williams, who, you know, I, I think Debo Williams more of a linebacker body type, whereas Bam Martin Scott is a little bit more of kind of that just hybrid defender body type where he's got some length and they they put him on the field already a lot on third downs it felt like but we're just seeing his uh sort of his role continue to grow and expand and now I think Jaron Willis is kind of taking on a little bit of the role Bam Martin Scott was in before as kind of a third third down special guy special specialist basically so you know, I, I think that's going to be fun to see that grow. It's going to be fun to see, you know, what those guys' roles will be moving into. You know, Bam's got another year, I think. Obviously, Jaron does. So, kind of seeing what they can do moving forward. But uh, I think certainly against Clemson, you're probably going to see more and more of this three-three-five again. Kentucky, you know, I, 
I haven't watched them a ton this year. I know they obviously run the football, so you, you may see some actual 4-3 from South Carolina against them. But the interesting thing about the 3-3-5 to me, though, is it took away someone having to play um, someone having to play basically um, nickel because a lot of times they're in this 3-3-5 and we saw them play three high safeties, basically. And you had Kilgore in the middle of the field, sometimes dropping deep into like, um, you know, a cover three, sometimes sort of hanging out a little bit lower, um, you know, still in thirds, but a little bit lower, almost like a Tampa two type look. And so it gave them a little bit more versatility. They played a little bit more zone in that thing. I feel like, even though they still played a lot of man, which they always do. Um, so yeah, it, it's been good for him. JD is saying, why do Willis and Bam make more plays than the starting linebackers? I mean, I don't think that's fair, honestly. I mean, Debo has made a ton of plays for South Carolina this year. And um, you know, I, I think I think Bam has Bam had a huge game. Like th- this was a little bit of his coming out party, uh, I think. And Chris, what do you think of the idea though that this may be Bam coming on? And you're if you're running this as your base D, potentially, I think that helps Stone and Debo quite a bit as well because it puts Stone in a more traditional middle linebacker role, not having to cover as much space as he has to as a four-two-five linebacker. Yeah, no, it's it's a good point and. You can maybe kind of play to your guys' strengths a little bit more. Um, you know, there, there's a play that comes to mind, Wes. Um, it was the play, I think it was the fourth and eight, and they sent a blitz, and Debo, Jerron Willis, and Bam Martin Scott were all coming, and they they flushed Ken Seals to the right. You know, Debo kind of he, – he may have been actually faking a blitz, but he came in – you know, Bam Martin Scott came. He caused some problems. Jerron Willis came fl- free. They flushed out uh, Ken Seals, and he ended up having to throw the ball away. And here come here comes Stone Blanton too, right? And so they've just kind of got guys that are able to come from everywhere. I think there was a great point by Travis here earlier too that you know you do have some versatility up front on South Carolina's defensive line. What you don't have, and Shane Beamer's pointed this out. You don't have a ton of girth up there. You don't have three or four 320, 330-pound guys. You don't have that. Nick Barrett's probably your biggest anchor-type guy. Other than that, you have Boogie Huntley, who's a big guy, but not a huge guy. Um, Tonka Hemingway kind of physically looks a little bit more like a like a tweener between a defensive end and a D-tackle playing D-tackle, right? You've got... I don't know, even going down to like Elijah Davis with the different things he can do. You have some different body types. TJ Sanders, obviously, he can play end, he can play inside. So you got some guys who are good pass rushers who have some versatility. And so I think this is just about taking some pieces of some guys that have been coming on. What can they do well? Putting all that together and then running a little bit more of this. And to your point, Wes, to circle back to it, yeah, I do think it sometimes allows guys to play to their strengths you know, a little bit more in this defense. Yeah, man. So I, I think it'll be fun to see kind of how this thing continues to evolve. And, um, you know, there's a lot of different things you can do out of it. And I, I think you have enough guys that at this point you're playing either veteran guys or, you know, if you're playing – Kilgore's a freshman, but he's played all year long. So you kind of have your base defense. And everybody I feel like that's playing knows your base defense like the back of their hand at this point gives you a little bit more flexibility to kind of expand what you're doing and feel comfortable doing some different things. Now, Vandy has had trouble protecting the passer, frankly, all year long. So, you know, I I don't want to read too much into it, but I I do think just the the different things, the versatility Carolina had up front, the uh, fact they were a little bit more multiple, I, I think did a lot in terms of creating some issues for Vanderbilt. So we'll see if that can be the same moving forward you know, against Kentucky and against Clemson. Uh, let's see. Defense, you know, trying to think if there's anything else. But Boogie Huntley, obviously, 
Great day for him. Got to score on offense. Got to make a couple plays on defense. I thought Tonka was very disruptive up front, too. Um, you know, just a solid day all the way around for South Carolina's defense, which w- was obviously needed and a, a nice sort of change, uh, kind of turn of events there for them. Offensively, Rattler, dude, Rattler had a day that um, if it was just about anybody else, he would be the first person we'd be talking about. But we're just so used to, at this point, when he has protection, which kudos to the offensive line. Not a lot of running room, but lots of room, lots of time to throw. When, when he has time to throw, man, like no, nothing you're seeing is a fluke at this point. He just consistently goes through his progression, finds open guys, makes good decisions. I thought made great decisions on when to pull and throw on the RPO game. I mean, we we really need to just all appreciate what we're seeing for, you know, for these final couple of games. Yeah, it's gotten lost. I think it's kind of – it's almost uh, to pick on Beamer a little bit, like Xavier Leggett just puts together so many great performances that Beamer forgets to give him a game ball, like ha- hasn't given him a game ball despite him having, you know, 200 yards, 100 and something yards. Uh, kind of similar with Rattler. Like, it, it's almost just old hat. We just, yeah, I mean, Spencer had another really good game. You know, it kind of is what it is. And you just really expect it from him. And he makes a lot of plays uh, look easy that aren't. You know, I, the the play that I go back to is early earlier in the game, there was a little bit of pressure. I think he was only pressured, Wes. Like you said, no sacks. I think three pressures on like 36 passing attempts, which is pretty darn good. But there was one where he had a little bit of pressure and he kind of moved around a little bit in the pocket. Then he stepped to his left and he just lobbed that ball up to Leggett. Made it look easy. Not an easy play. The, The movement wasn't easy. The throw to put that type of touch on it wasn't easy. And then he had some other really impressive ones, right? I mean, the drops. You know, I mean, he he had the third down ball to A.B. that was just like just like you described it, going through your progression, firing an absolute dart, you know, writing a guy's numbers, couldn't have thrown it any better. The throw to Omega Blake that was a touchdown. Um, there were so many of them, and he's just he's just been great in the way in terms of the way he's conducted himself and the way he's played. And Wes, honestly, that's one of the reasons you look at this thing and you go, all right. South Carolina's defense, they've had their struggles this year. We know what the run game has been. We know the injury situation. But you kind of feel like they have 17 and they have seven. And that means generally they're going to have a chance. Yeah, they're going to have a chance in every game. And, uh, you know, 17, Leggett going over 1,000 yards. You know, it was a going in the game at this point, it was a formality. You were just wondering when he was going to get it. He got it pretty early on, first quarter, second catch of the game for him, and uh, goes down in history with really some some superstars, man. Sidney Rice, Alshon Jeffrey, Farrow Cooper, Sterling Sharp. I, I'm honestly a little bit surprised that the list, as good as the receivers here have been, surprised the list of 1,000-yard receivers in a season is uh, not a little bit longer, but he, again, we'll wait to the end to really sort of try to put his season accurately where it should be. But just in terms of what he has meant to this team is, uh, I mean, I don't even know if you can put it into words. And I'm I'm just impressed, man, with his toughness mentally and physically. He, he's clearly not right right now. And he just finds a way after he catches the foot or when when the ball is snapped, it's like he forgets that he's playing banged up. It's just like he's like, no, I'm I'm it's kind of a mind over hurt. matter, honestly. It, it it does very much seem that way. Um it, it's been amazing. Again, I and I've I've drawn the parallel, I'll say it again. You're probably like Chris you said that five times, but he really is like the new Brian Edwards, like Brian would be limping around. You're like, man, it looks like he cannot play. And then it's a touchdown, right? And 
Leggett, though, it's even more noticeable of like you cannot tell when he's running, you have no inkling whatsoever that he's hurt. It's not like, ah, he's going half speed. No, he's, it looks like he's completely uh, full speed at all times. So he's been awesome and just a deserving guy, too. So been really, really cool to watch. Yeah, and uh, once again, made plays. He he almost made another one that would have put the the game even completely more over the top for him where he chased down a ball, um, somehow got to it and just could not haul it in, but was maybe a play or two away from having yet another historic day after having a, a historic day against Jacksonville State. But, man, it, it's been fun. I'll be curious to see. there. He's chasing some records there. Rattler's chasing some you know, being pretty high on the all-time list, I, I think he'll probably top out potentially as fifth all-time for South Carolina passers. Um, Rattler actually has a outside shot at the all-time list for passing yards in a season. Leggett has a pretty good shot at maybe second for receiving yards in one season. It'll be tough to match Alshon's number. Um what did, what did Tyler Head say earlier? 15-something, 1,500-something for Alshon. Insane number. But, you know, Leggett has a great shot at being second as far as that goes and just has meant so much to this team. So I, I, I would say, Chris, in terms of going back to the Vandy game, I feel like we keep getting away from it. Obviously, Rattler was great. Obviously, Leggett, both those guys were just kind of who they've been all season long. But – the other guys I think you just circle on offense, Mario Anderson, obviously, continuing, you know, the the difference in the runs when Mario was on the field and then in limited carries, but Braswell, you know, there really wasn't a ton necessarily of room for either, but Anderson has just sort of become really good at finding space. When, it, when there's not a ton there, I think. So I think that's something that will come with reps with Braswell. So to me, the difference makers in this game, Braswell, excuse me, Mario Anderson, Josh Simon, and um, and then A.B. Um, I think in that order, maybe Simon before Anderson. I, I think you could debate that. But once you start getting past Rattler and Leggett, those are the guys, if you're going to tell the story of this football game, you can't tell the story without those guys. Well, and Wes, remember early this year, so spring, it happened in the spring, it happened in the summer, it happened in the preseason. We were asking some folks that are in the know about the tight end room and Josh Simon came up a lot, and I think we, you and I didn't really sleep on Josh Simon because we – like, Trey Knox got more notoriety because he came from an SEC school. He was a former four-star. He had the Dow Loggins connection. But Josh Simon was a guy who's had, who had a really good career at Western Kentucky and has played a lot of football, and we kept hearing, like, yeah, I mean, Trey's doing well, but, man, this Josh Simon guy, like, he, he he's got it. And – to the extent that I've been a little bit more surprised that we haven't seen more and more of him this year. Now there could be reasons for that. A lot of people are saying, well, the staff obviously has no idea what they're doing because they haven't played him. Well, could it be that even though Josh Simon is, you know, what a fifth year guy, maybe he has gotten even more and more acclimated to the, the way thing South Carolina is doing things that that's possible. I, I honestly don't know. But what I do know is when he's now that he's gotten more opportunities, man, he has made the most of them. And he's a guy that hopefully South Carolina can get Trey Knox back because he is a weapon. But this is a guy in Josh Simon that if you're Dow Loggins, you're going to have a hard time keeping off the field, whether that's more 12 personnel, two tight end stuff with Trey Knox or just playing him more. Um, he's got a physical presence when he catches the football. It, I can remember one instance in the game where the first guy got him down, barely. Um, he, he catches the football, and he's looking to not only break a tackle but normally punish a defender, and we've seen it several times this year. Yeah, and I think, you know, Josh has been on the field quite a bit this year, and they have run two tight ends. It's just yeah. I think as the year has gone on, we've seen him get the football thrown his way a little bit more, and then 
the last two weeks as he was the guy at tight end. He was tight end one. I think we've seen Loggins do a fantastic job of putting him in some situations that maybe match his skill set. And, you know, I I know everything is nuanced, really, when you try to break it down. And the, the fact you have a quarterback like Spencer Rattler, like if we're going to kind of try to how, – how do you judge Dow Loggins' season to this point as a first-year play caller at South Carolina? You know, you'll sit there and you'll say, hey, you got Spencer Rattler. This guy's going to play in the NFL. Um, the other side is you're going to say, man, protection for the most part this year when you face good defenses has been really, really hard to come by. I like to look at the fact, how have you evolved the offense as the year has progressed? And how have you maybe done some different things to better utilize specific skill sets? And I I think for South Carolina, man, the way they've used, there's maybe three guys that stand out to me. The way they've used Josh Simon as the year has progressed the way they've used Juju McDowell, I would say dating back to Florida game, like coming off coming off of the bye week. Um, really, both those guys, I feel like that was a that was kind of a, a line in the sand moment, bye week where you're kind of let's reassess. And then to an extent, AB, I think for the most part, they've kind of used AB the same all year when he's been healthy. Like it's kind of been the same idea, but I think some of the stuff they did with with pre-snap motion with AB and with Simon this past week honest almost reminds me a little bit of what you see with like the Dolphins in the NFL and it's not always just your traditional motions where you're just bringing a guy across the formation little tweaks here and there that I think have put those guys in space and they've both proved uh, Juju as well playing more slot all three of those guys have proved what they can do when they find that space yeah, the the play that I pointed out earlier that w- when you were you know talking about this was there was a play the the play that Braswell had his long uh, near touchdown reception and you know you're in shotgun you're bringing a Marion Brown across the formation everybody kind of floods towards the middle of the field Braswell you know feigns like he's going into pass protection and then he just squirts out he's in man coverage and then easy pitch and catch from. Spencer Rattler to him, everybody's flowing the other way, and uh, it was a huge chunk play. So, yeah, we, we've seen some of that misdirection even in the passing game. They've done a good job with that. Um, seen some interesting – like the Josh Simon, the little kind of tight end play that they've introduced the past couple weeks where they get the ball out quickly to the tight end on the perimeter and try to seal off uh, the defenders. They've had some success with that play. So we've seen some interesting wrinkles. and. Um, you know, if they can keep integrating Simon, get Trey Knox back, A.B., you know, if he might be coming around a little bit more even, good to see him get his first touchdown as a Gamecock, hard to believe. Uh, they, they, you know, might have taken a step forward. Now, the competition obviously gets a lot more significant the next couple of weeks, but certainly a, a good offensive performance, particularly in the second half. Um, Will asking, does Josh Simon have one more year? Yes, he does. You know, I I think those are – dude, those are the guys right there, like your Josh Simons, your Mario Andersons of the world, your guys who, you know, I, I don't think are going to have NFL teams – like, they're not going to be projected to be top four round picks at, at this point. Those are the guys you want to start talking about modern college football, NIL era, and um, keeping a roster together. I think if you're at a place like South Carolina, you have to keep those guys coming back for one more year. Like you, and I'm, I am specifically talking about them, but I am also talking more in general. Like if you're going to be a good football team at South Carolina, if you're going to be a good football program, yes, you need the Rattlers of the world. You need um, the other end of that, which is getting a guy like Leggett and just sort of being patient and bringing him along. But when you have a guy like Mario Anderson, who has just proved to be a good, solid SEC football player, when you have a guy like Josh Simon, who is steadily proving to be a good, solid SEC football player, and they have another year, I think those are the type of guys you've got to take care of 
from an NIL standpoint and just make it make it an easy decision for them because I, I think those are the type guys that are the difference in having depth and feeling good about certain positions next year versus being like, well, here's another spot we got to start over at and, and try to replenish. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's nice. You know, we, we all get the shiny object syndrome of, all right, who, who's the next recruit? Who's the next, you know, guy in the transfer portal? But, you know, you got to remember, like, when you think about Simon, that was a really nice transfer portal acquisition. And he's done some good things for this team, and he's starting to come on. You know, if he were to bolt to the NFL, which would be understandable, um, you, yeah, you could bring somebody else in from the portal, but will he even be at the same level? You, you don't know. How will he acclimate? There are lots of questions there. So, yeah, you definitely need to bring a lot of these guys back. There's a pretty long list, Wes, of guys that could, in theory, come back next season. And how many of them do that are priority-type guys, that'll play a huge role, you know, in, in the outlook for 2024. By the way, speak, speaking of that Braswell play earlier, um. What what ha- what happened? Like, I, what do you mean? I, I don't I don't get it. I I can't figure out who was supposed to be covering Braswell. Oh, like he, <laughs> I I thought initially I was like this had to be like a green dog situation, which is where you know the linebacker um, sees his guy is in pass pro, says I'm gonna blitz and kind of add on to the pressure. And in South Carolina's case, or in anybody's case, if you do that and then the the running back kind of leaks out, he's left uncovered. And so that's what it felt like. But the the linebackers it instantly just sort of go after the backfield. And it wasn't really a particularly aggressive play-action fake to Braswell. It wasn't really a particularly aggressive – like he he didn't pause for a long time and make it seem like he was staying in the backfield. Like I don't know if this is just straight up bust or or what happened here. I mean, and so z- you'll see if you look at the replay of it. Zero for Vandy ends up being the long soul trying to catch him. I don't I don't know if he just gets caught thinking this is a run. So he's trying to fill, but um, obviously there were some issues for Vandy in coverage here. Yeah, I think uh, you know my assessment, Wes, or what? I, here's what I originally thought. You know, Vandy's in man coverage, and um, they're obviously bringing they bring two linebackers. I think number zero, who I think is the maybe the Mike. He's a, either a Mike or Will linebacker. I don't know what they count him as in Vandy's defense. But I think he's trying to pick the center, basically, or actually pick the uh, right guard, and he's trying to free him up for the for the one of the blitzing linebackers. But in the process of doing so, Braswell kind of leaks out, and because of the motion, the flow of the defense, you know, they have to obviously take a man. So really, I think it was just a, frankly, a well designed play against that look because if the linebacker was not feigning that pressure, he might sit back and he might be able to pick it up. But that was kind of my amateur assessment of it. Yeah, kind of weird, honestly. But, hey, hey, you'll take it if you're South Carolina. Um, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, uh, that that's when I wish we could just – I wish we could put the plays up without getting copyright strikes on this thing. But, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Wow, it's 3.05. All right, so we're kind of out of time. I feel like we still got a couple of other things to hit on, but um, we'll hit that later this week and um, start to dive into Kentucky coming up 7.30, Williams-Brice Stadium, SEC Network. The big news today, South Carolina finds out they will have two straight 7.30 kickoffs to finish the year with South Carolina Clemson also getting a late kick. Pretty cool stuff there. Willie B at night can be can be special. So we'll see if that has a big impact on these games. Also, going to tell you about our friends at Liberty Tax, 803-462-5576. If you are, if you are 
a human being, you have to pay taxes. So why not use our friends at Liberty Tax? 803-462-5576. Three convenient locations right here in the Midlands. Support those who support us. A big-time Gamecock fan. And Larry, just call him today, 803-462-5576. Go ahead and get a head start on your taxes because tax time is right around the corner. Appreciate Larry and the team at Liberty Tax for being supporters of us here on GC Live. All right, y'all. Appreciate y'all hanging in. I know we kind of bounced around, honestly, quite a bit. I wanted to get into a few little more specifics in the game. But like I said, we're out of time. For Chris, I'm Wes. Uh, We'll see y'all later this week, and we'll get to it then. Appreciate y'all.